0: But hopefully those new facilities will also encourage students, undergraduate students, to look at an opportunity to uh, go through training, get graduate degrees, and and help with that research as well.
1: A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming soon. Now you have the brightest minds in the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like excellent by Protecta, a novel product for the management of hypocalcemia, its uncomplicated excellence. Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. DSM, and AB Vista. Welcome back to another episode of the Dairy Podcast Show. Today, I'm very excited to be welcoming as a guest, Dr. Mark McGuire. Dr. McGuire is the director of the Idaho Agricultural Experiment Station, and he's an associate dean in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences at the University of Idaho. Uh, Mark's a professor who studies nutrition, milk synthesis, and the role of animal products in the human diet, and somewhat uniquely does lactation studies in both dairy cattle and in women. And so, Doctor McGuire, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate being uh, having the opportunity to join you. So, Mark, I think it's always interesting to find out about people's background, how they ended up working in dairy. Could you tell me a little bit about uh, your history and how you ended up in this role? Sure. So,
0: my uh, interest in dairy—I grew up in Northern Illinois, and most of uh, our neighbors were uh, dairy producers when I was a kid, and uh, we we did beef and and, uh, pigs mostly. And so I'd go enjoy the opportunity to, to milk a cow and, and see the differences between dairy cows and beef cows as far as lactation goes. You know, uh, you know milking those occasional beef cows to, to see how they were doing was always a challenge, but uh, certainly production limits were, were quite different. Uh, and when I went to uh, University of Illinois as an undergrad, I was started out in animal science and um it, it, Let's just say the animal science there was uh, a fairly large department, and uh, I, I didn't really have good relationships with uh, any advisors or faculty, and um, just happened to have a friend who uh, was a couple years ahead of me in in, uh, in the dorm room as well as and uh, in, in he was studying dairy science and that's Paul Van Raaden who is a geneticist at USDA in Beltsville, and, and we were in high school together, so. It, Paul kind of dr- drugged me along to Dairy Club meetings and I started to meet the faculty like uh, Jimmy Clark, uh, Jim Robinson, um, Bruce Larson, and, and really just said, these are people that care about students. Now, in that day... Um, it was you know 450 undergraduates in animal science and i think there were eight in dairy science so it was more of a one on one approach with the faculty that you felt appreciated and so uh with with paul's uh introduction I, I became more comfortable in the in the dairy science uh, department and essentially took the same classes in both cases so uh, I switched over to dairy science and um, enjoyed long term relationships with faculty that have mentored me over over my life uh, uh yeah there's not too many opportunities but you uh, to, to spend time with people like uh, Jimmy Clark and Jim Robinson, in particular those. Uh, Jim Robinson ended up, I think I was his only undergraduate advisee in his career. And uh, uh, it, it was great. You know, somebody who's looking at uh, genetic uh, factors that affect um, embryo development, Um the dumps uh, calf. I mean, that was Jim Robinson, in, and I, I just enjoyed that science, and that science led me to graduate school, and um, and again connections from those faculty to uh, faculty that uh, had graduate student uh, openings, uh, and that was Bob Collier at that point in at Florida, and so uh, it's a it's a tight knit community in the in the dairy world, and and I think that's what I appreciated more than anything else.
1: So I have to ask a few things. Did I hear you right that Paul Van Raden and you were into the same high school? Well, we sh- we
0: shared ag programs. The, the okay. two towns were seven miles apart, and uh, yeah, Paul Paul uh, was president of the FFA for uh, two years before I was the president of the FFA cl- for two years, and then he was in the same dorm uh, as I was at, at Illinois, and so we, we've had a long standing uh, relationship uh, over the years. In fact, I helped him and his uh, family show heifers, dairy heifers, at county fairs for quite a few years.
1: That's pretty neat. And then I didn't really think about this connection until you mentioned it, but so you worked with Bob Collier for your first part of your
0: graduate work. Is that That's right? That's correct. I went to the University of Florida, and uh, Bob had a usda hard grant on heat stress. Uh, he and Dave Beatty, and I started off working at uh, Florida with Bob, and uh, Bob left in the middle of my program to go head up the BST program in Monsanto, So I finished my master's in baby.
1: And now he's, of course, uh, a colleague of yours at Idaho after you guys both went different directions
0: for a number of years. So that's amazing. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough uh, to find him in a moment, in a weakness in retirement from uh, when he was department in Arizona. And he said, yeah, I, I still have a few years left. I'd like to do something. I'd be happy to look at Idaho. So, yeah, he's. I, see, I get to see him every day. So take a minute, if you
1: don't mind, um, and explain to me what what an ag ag experiment station is uh, for people that don't know. And uh, what does it mean to to direct a facility or a, a system like that?
0: Yeah. So as director of the experiment station, I oversee all the, the hatch dollars uh, that come to the station, if you will, which is the University of Idaho College of Ag and Life Sciences. And those funds that are coupled with a match from the state and uh, they are the operations, the personnel, uh, the, the capital uh, equipment that are our research and extension centers that allow faculty to go and do studies on dairy cows, on potatoes, um, as well as uh, early childhood education and, and or early childhood development. So quite a range. Um, and so it gives me the opportunity to work closely with USDA NIFA because our funds – Uh, come through the National Institute of Food and Agriculture. Um, And I've also become uh, active in in the Association of Public Land Grant Universities, or APLU, because of my role as an experiment station uh, section director. And so I I get to go to uh, D.C. once in a while and, and play politics to try to Increase the amount of funding that goes to both uh, the capacity funds—that would be what's given to the experiment stations—and then the competitive funds, such as the AFRI funds that uh, we all compete for.
1: Correct. Okay. Very good. Thank you. So, for dairy professionals around the country, around the world, I think one thing that's interesting—you've been at the University of Idaho for quite a number of years now—and I guess, largely during that time, I, you can take credit if you want, the, the dairy industry in Idaho has grown pretty dramatically. And I wonder if you just kind of give us an overview of that that period of
0: time and how much growth there's been. Sure, I, I arrived in Idaho in 1995. So um, I am now one of the old dogs in, in, at the university uh, experience. Um, when I arrived, the dairy industry, I think we were 12th in the country with uh, 275,000 cows. Uh, and that growth has been steady uh for the entire time and, and, and there is still growth going on. We're right now uh over six hundred thousand cows and number three in the country. Uh it's it's been um you know just <laughs> incredible to watch the growth um i mean wh- one of the difficulties we have at the university of idaho is i'm in moscow moscow's up north we're we're about 300 miles away from the magic valley where all the cows are but uh, that doesn't mean i i don't know what the dairy industry does i get down there regularly i did did so when i was a young faculty member because i understood where where the dairy industry was um but the, the amount, the size of the herds, the average herd site is somewhere around 14, 1,500 cows. And, and you're seeing facilities built now with 30,000, 40,000 cows on site across that barns, high tech as much as it, you can find anywhere. Um, and then on coupled with that is amazing processing capacity. So, um, cheese plants that are just, you know, uh, 10 million pounds of milk a day, uh, uh sell in the 500 pound blocks. Uh, and then of course, Chobani has a, a large, I think it's the largest Greek yogurt plant in the world. Um, and, and it's not even near capacity in, in their production. Um, so, so it's just an incredible industry. Um, and, and. Part of that is because it's a great environment. Um, You know, the the, uh, heat is relatively modest. Uh, We're we're at elevation uh, from Boise of about 2,500 feet above sea level over to the Magic Valley and maybe about 3,000 and then higher on the... East side of uh, the state, uh, and what that allows is that it may get over 100 during the day, but every night it cools off into the 50s or 60s, and there's it's a desert, so very no very low to no humidity, and so it gives you an opportunity to produce milk, um, and then coupled with high 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 quality feed uh, that's uh, produced, whether it be alfalfa or corn silage, uh, it's it's just a tremendous environment.
1: Are there any particular challenges of
0: dairying in Idaho? Oh, I'm sure just like everywhere else, there's always challenges. Uh, probably our biggest challenge is always water. Uh, we live off of irrigation, and so it's, uh, you know, the snowpack uh, and what the reservoirs ha- have, and, and that could be fairly um, uh, regional uh, the impact. so it could be that one irrigation district is a little short of water that might impact a few dairies, or it could be a different one. And, and so, uh, your crop production is it, here requires that uh, irrigation, whether it be groundwater or or surface water, and um, always concerns uh, tied tied to that availability.
1: Okay, what is the feel right now in the state in terms of whether the dairy industry is going to be continuing to grow there the next 10 years, or does it seem like more of a plateau?
0: I always think that there's a potential to grow. Um, It's going to be uh, producers deciding to to change uh, what they might be growing, uh, either for dairy feed or for um, use of water. Uh, And so it's really... Are you prognosticating, you know, water shortages in the future or, or limits? And, and so uh, I think we grow some, but I think we're getting close to capacity. That being said, um, I think people have been saying that since we we're about 350,000 cows. So maybe maybe I, and I didn't say it, but others have. Uh, I, I, I just keep uh, I'm. I'm Always amazed at the ability of the dairy industry to find more opportunity. Um, you know, we we had a real limit on our processing capacity, and and what has happened is that producers, you know, they decided we're going to do our own processing, and so. We have milk protein concentrates. We have powder plants. We have uh, additional cheese plants and even uh, expansion on the fluid market uh, capacity that has occurred because the producers have decided that they wanted to control their own destiny um, by taking that milk and, and processing it. And, of course, that, that allows that vertical integration, which I think helps support the industry's success. That's impressive.
1: Well, one of the exciting things going on in the state, and I know the producers in the state have have supported this, is um, the new cafe facility. And uh, we've been hearing more about this as um, some pieces have fallen into place, and I'm excited to talk with you about it today. So can you start just
0: kind of explaining what this facility, what this vision is? Sure. So we've been working on CAFE. I I think this is uh, – 1997 was the the first effort. So uh, this has been a big week in my life because uh, uh, Tuesday the the land board actually um, moved – 23.25 23.25 million towards the project, on top of all the other funding that we have. So, we will be uh, actively building a dairy in Minidoka County in the Magic Valley for uh, research, teaching, and outreach purposes. Uh, CAFE is is the, the term for the Center for Agriculture, Food, and the Environment. Uh, it really is a, a, a three part entity of, of a research dairy. Uh, as well as an outreach teaching education center uh, in in Jerome, and then uh, uh, partnering with the College of Southern Idaho for for workforce development in in food uh, processing. Uh, So uh, the first step, though, is a research dairy. And so this week, the land board decided to um, uh, invest Uh, some proceeds from a former research center that they sold last November that was landlocked housing developments in in Caldwell, uh, where they sold that 280 acres for $23.25 million. Um, And as the college is the beneficiary of that endowment, uh, we took forth an effort to convinced the land board that for the best use of those funds for the beneficiary was to invest in uh, a research dairy. And um, and so uh, they agreed to that, which it, it, I mean, I am still can't believe it. Uh, it's been a long, I think, as our president said to the land board, it's been a long and winding road to get to this point. Um, And so they're going to purchase 640 acres of land that we have in in, uh, north of Rupert in Minnidoga County um, that uh, we partnered with Idaho Dairymen's Association to purchase. We own two pivots. Uh, The university owns two pivots and and Idaho Dairymen uh, own the other two. The dairymen are donating those two pivots to us. And then the land board, the endowment, the college endowment will purchase that land. Then the the funds that we generate from the sale of that land plus uh, the sale of the former R and E center will be used to to per, to build a dairy. And uh, we have uh, the design went, went out to bid uh, a few months ago, uh, but. Sadly, the prices price came back well above what the funds were that we had in hand. So, um, so at this point, we we said no, we can't do this uh, uh, construction. But now we have the funds available. We're going to go back out to bid in January. We believe that um, you know the. Uh, construction costs are are coming down maybe a little bit Uh, at least we've heard that the concrete costs are are down dramatically we know diesel costs are down so uh, excavation was a large part of those costs so we're moving forward uh, with the bids uh, in in January hopefully to move dirt in um, early uh, March or April uh, for, for that facility Um, We're going to be milking. In the end, we have uh, CAFO for 3,600 animal head, but I think we'll be milking about 2,000 cows on that facility. First step is a dry lot system where we're going to probably have capacity for about 1,200 cows initially on the the dry lots. Uh, It may be oversized because what we're going to do is we're going to... divide that up into smaller pens, so we can look at air emissions in particular across replicated uh, pens in in that work. So pens of, of 60 cows is the design. Why 60 cows? It's because we have a a DeLaval uh, 60-cal rotary that is what the milking system will be. Um, And so we're working closely with uh, USDA ARS scientists in Kimberly, Idaho, who do a lot of work on air emissions uh, and dairies in Idaho and in the West uh, in in designing that facility so it can address the questions and concerns that the public has about air air emissions from the dairy industry, as well as the cropland that's associated with it. So we're going to be looking at the fields uh, next to the dairy and look at how application of uh, manure or nutrients from manure as extracted into biochar or other components impact uh, then the carbon emissions from the crop when the crops are actually grown as well. So it, it's a combination of a dairy as well as the, the agronomy piece that we're going to evaluate at this facility. That's exciting.
1: Yeah. And I, I think uh, a lot of dairymen could commiserate on the challenges of, of pricing out a facility right now, but it's fantastic that you're still moving ahead, especially with this, this new investment. Um, how did this? How did this vision come together? As you said, it's been many, many years in the making. But I, I'm having a hard time thinking of another facility where you really integrate sort of the environmental piece, the production piece, and even the dairy food side.
0: That's been a. Uh a discussion that's been ongoing with the industry. So it's really uh, been a partnership with them more or less telling us what we should do. Uh, uh, Let's let's just say that Idaho dairymen, like most dairymen are not afraid to actually speak their mind. Um, And and it's been an effort to uh, refine what exactly they're looking for and try to come up with uh, a, a, a facility design and a programmatic design um, to really meet the needs and and so initially the needs are because there's a lot of dry lot um, open lot uh, dairies in idaho we really need to address some of the questions about air emissions as the national dairy initiative towards net zero uh is pushed and so how do you do that on a in a dry lot such situation i mean there's very very few people even try to address that or or even measure what those emissions are. Um, And so that's the first focus. Second focus will be more how to uh, reduce the entirety of um, carbon emissions uh, across that agronomic piece that in total is the the dairy production system. And so the industry has been guiding us uh, well um, and with passion, yeah, that, great. Uh, these these are what we need, and we'll help you get there. Excellent. Well, I'm glad
1: it's coming together. That's pretty exciting. So, and you've already laid out some of the research objectives and some of the big picture needs, and, and you know how that was pulled together. Give us some sort of, you know, I'm sure you've been talking with the legislature and other people that are outside of dairy. What are some of the long term visions about the impact? So, what are you talking about? How this impacts the industry in 20 or 30 years?
0: Uh, Hopefully the impact is is pretty significant in in five to 10 years, uh, Barry, because I I think the industry really needs some answers uh, if they're going to achieve that net zero by 2050. Uh, So, Uh, first and foremost we've we've designed the facility so it's more of a plug-and-play type of uh, approach particularly with regards to the waste system so that you can come in and and put in a a digester or put in a a centrifuge or put in a a new manure handling system that might extract nutrients in a way that can compete with um, commercial fertilizer if you will Um, so it We're hoping that flexibility allows us to address a lot of technologies that come forward in in the very near future. Um, uh, The college happens to have a a USDA Sustainable Ag Systems grant on developing a a bioeconomy on dairy waste. Uh, And that $10 million grant is looking at a couple of different ways to capture those nutrients from dairy waste and and evaluate their economic value uh, relative to commercial fertilizer for the rotations that we have in Idaho that include not only corn silage and alfalfa, but potatoes, sugar beets, and cereals. So um, that work has been underway for two years, and now we'll actually have a facility where we can do that work um, and expand from small field plots and greenhouse experiments to larger fields to really uh, hopefully convince uh, investors that this is a real business opportunity. And that at the end of the grant, we're hoping that we've generated new businesses that can be tied to a, a dairy and get uh, you know great economic value. So a producer may actually generate more money from uh, the waste from manure than they do from the milk, but uh, We'll see how that goes.
1: That's pretty exciting.
0: I like that. So
1: scaling out a little bit, um, as someone who directs an agricultural experiment station, do you see ways that ag research as a whole needs to adapt or pivot to serve
0: society better moving forward? We're, we're not real quick at um, pivoting or adapting. I mean, we're that classic example of a a battleship or an aircraft carrier. We don't turn on a dime. It takes years uh, to to change. And I think the CAFE project really reflects that difficulty because when I got here in 95, um, Idaho was about 60% of the cash receipts were crops, and now we're 60%. Livestock, and of which the dominant driver of there is dairy. Yeah, the the number one ag industry in Idaho is dairy by far. Everybody sees potatoes on our license plate. Well, potatoes important. Sure. Don't get me wrong, but dairy is is about three and a half four times uh, the economic value to the state as potatoes. And so for us over. 27 years now to finally have a facility to address. It tells you the difficulty that experiment stations or universities have in, in pivoting or changing. And so, um, we're always struggling with that. the other, One of the other difficulty with, uh, ag experiment stations across the U S is that we typically are in old antiquated facilities. And, and I think, um, Uh, the experiment station directors in 2015 did an assessment of all of our inventory of buildings and the average age of the buildings for our college of ag research purposes are about 50 years old. You can't do high quality research. Well, you can, but it's a challenge to do them in those kind of buildings. And so we've been pushing at the federal level, uh, really a new initiative to invest in infrastructure for, um, the the ag experiment stations. Part of that is also that we've had flat funding, at least on the the capacity funding for years, uh, on the order of 10 to 15 years, while in particular China has been investing 14 to 15% a year increases in their ag research. And so if we wanna try to compete with China, we need to have greater funds appropriated to, from the federal government and state governments to support that uh, research enterprise, as well as allow us to build new facilities that uh, meet our needs. And of course, that, that's that's all money to a great extent. But hopefully those new facilities will also encourage um, students, undergraduate students to look at an opportunity to uh, go through training, get graduate degrees and and help with that research as well. Uh, So there are some significant challenges that we have nationally in ag research uh, to to really be competitive, even though we're still the leader, by far still the leader, but there are other countries, particularly China, that are are catching up at great pace. And I think if you look in the Journal of Dairy Science, Boy, uh, authorship on papers that are published these years, it's being, you know, it used to be one or two from China. And now I'd hate to even guess it might be 10 to 20, 25 percent of those papers published are all coming from China. So that's um, true. Yep. The U.S. research is not making the impacts that it was in the past.
1: Fair enough. Well, I hope efforts like the CAFE, you know, help attract fresh blood, I guess, to the to this side. Particularly, I think it's uh, good if we can attract people that don't have an ag background to come uh, join the effort to uh, make our systems better. So for somebody that's working in the dairy industry today, this may be a a little bit of a tough question given what you work on day-to-day, but uh, is there one high-impact practice that you would encourage them to implement today and and just being effective in their work or in, in the way they run their business?
0: Yeah, that, that's a really challenging question you're asking there, Barry. Um, <laughs> one practice, I, I, I'm gonna maybe just talk about uh, positive promotion, um, and um, I, I think we we are challenged because we we have, uh, if you will, niche products in the dairy industry, you know, uh, organic, natural, and and. They, there is a competition there that doesn't necessarily help us be uh, successful in total when, when we're producing a product that has an extremely high value to the human consumer uh, across a range. Um, and I'm going to point out um, my wife and I have done work looking at the presence of Roundup in human milk uh and uh you know there was a big effort to try to ban roundup because oh it's it's you know bad for everybody in reality we, we can't find roundup in human milk um and yet there were entities that were trying to ban roundup because of that uh fake news if you will okay uh and so we, we need to push that uh consuming dairy products is a, a great source of nutrients For um, everyone in in the human consumer, I'm I'm not going to push fluid, I'm not going to push cheese, I'm not going to push yogurt. It's really dairy products. Um, Really, I'm really worried about how all these plant based beverages are uh, challenging um, dairy food intake. And and, uh, so I, I think what we have to do as a dairy industry is just. Be together, be unified, talk about the value of these dairy products for the human consumer. It's it's the key that we have to do. Uh, so that's the one practice, the high-impact practice, is being uh, passionate about the products and the, and the production that you have. So talk about the good things that the dairy industry does, such as producing the same amount of milk. Well, actually producing more milk from 9 million cows than we produced from you know, 25 million cows 50 years ago. So, you know, we are uh, an industry that has demonstrated tremendous ability to be sustainable while producing a high-quality nutrient source for human consumers. That's a solid answer. I like that.
1: It's time for Famous Three. Okay, we've got three questions we ask of every guest to wrap up. So first one, what's your favorite dairy-related book or resource?
0: yeah that that's a uh, but you, you're asking some good questions here Barry. um so my favorite dairy book and and it's one that i i i probably look at all every day because it's sitting on my shelf right next door and, and it's a it's a series actually it's a series of books uh called lactation and these are uh it was a treatise of of uh chapters that were put together by experts the book was uh edited by bruce Larson in illinois and and because of my interactions with bruce when i was an undergrad i, I became um you know in, enthralled by, by those books and, and certainly my master's degree with bob collier who followed up with a different book on lactation um and then phd with Dale Bowman at, at cornell i mean we lactation is my heart and soul i think about milk i think about milk synthesis And these books were really, I think, the first ones that uh, stimulated my scientific interest in in why, you know, uh, some cows are are tremendous at producing milk and some um, should become McDonald's hamburgers. Yeah. and, and so those are those. That's probably my favorite dairy-related book, and it's really just a, a lactation book, per se. Okay. I also have right next to it the Large Herd Management Handbook. I uh, appreciate those books too, but my 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 real passion is understanding milk synthesis and and how to how to affect it. So.
1: Great. Okay. So, what about your favorite book or resource outside of agriculture?
0: Yeah. Uh, so. As I thought about that question, I would say that um, I, I like the classic good versus evil uh, uh-huh. uh, stories, and, and so you know, uh, I you know, re- read read Lord of the Rings. I think the movies are better because I, I yeah, hard, it was hard reading. So I'm, I'm going to go with the Stand by Stephen King. I think that that is my favorite book. I, I, it's probably. As I think about it, I think it's the only book that I've reread a couple of times. Okay. Um, so every four or five, six years, I think over about well, over a period of time, I, I reread it. And, it. and to me, it is uh, a, a terrific story of, of good versus evil. Um, and, of course, good wins. So you, you, know, you like that, you know, um, as I as I think about it as well, I, I, you know, with living through a pandemic now, I, I might go back and, and read it with a different perspective of of. Uh, you know how did those people survive in in uh in that situation and how did that impact them as they actually went through that pandemic rather than just the the good versus evil part of that story so uh that that that's probably my favorite book the, the other part of um my my non-science life is i i like uh early human history if you will okay so the book like 1492 and and yeah. uh the uh the Jared Diamonds uh stories and then uh being a Maguire uh I, I started to try to chase down some of my Irish heritage and uh uh you know how the Irish saved civilization and things like that. So all those books also are are uh fun to read and they and they really stimulate you to think a little differently about what's going on Today, And I think that's part of, uh, as you think about um, changing climate, uh, I think about, well, you know, as things thaw, they're uncovering a new, uh, a past civilization. They're, they're uncovering, so, so man, and I don't mean that in any kind of derogatory way, man was there, was living there, or animals were living there in the past. So it did change. And I think we just have to anticipate that we're going to be living in a changing world forever. Um, and each of us as an individual, we just have this little short snapshot of time. Um, should we do stuff to become more environmentally friendly? I'm all about you know minimizing our impact, but I think the world will change. It will always change. And how we adapt to that change is ultimately, um, I think, how man will survive.
1: Great answer. So the stand, I'm going to have to add that to my list. I haven't read that one. All right, lastly, in your opinion, what sets successful dairy professionals apart from those that are less successful?
0: I'm going to go back to my answer about that one high impact factor, and I think it's passion. Passion for the industry, passion for people in the industry. Uh, it's it's um, individuals who engage to learn more, to help uh, move the industry forward and and so it's it's passion
1: excellent thank you dr mark mcguire thank you for joining us on the dairy podcast show i think that was an excellent conversation i hope all our listeners enjoyed it Um, if you've not subscribed yet please hit that subscribe button and look forward to seeing you again next time